to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Wendy Flack is well known to Flying Solo's forum community where she's been a generous and helpful participant for a number of years. Wendy first got involved while she was starting her business, Couplet. Initially an invention rather than a fully-fledged business, Couplet is an innovative undies release clip that Wendy created following her son's double knee surgery in 2006, once she realized the single thing that would make her caring job so much easier. During the development of her product, Wendy learned a mass of new skills, faced many obstacles and challenges, yet still managed to create a successful product and business. She's just published a comprehensive guide, My Great Idea, almost everything you should know before inventing something, and it's that we're going to discuss today. Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Robert. Thanks for having me. Oh, good. It's, look, it's great to have you here. So, look, I, I think perhaps where we should start is... Um, your your dear son Justin, he's 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 a grown he's a man now, um, but could you just start off perhaps by telling us a little bit about what kind of got you into all of this? What was the situation, and and uh, you know then we'll 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 move on to your wonderful guide that you've written. Yeah, sure. First of all, dear son, I'm not sure about that every day of the week, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, well. Um, when Justin was 14, he um, dislocated his knee, and it turned out to be the fourth time he dislocated his right knee, hmm. and he'd already dislocated his left knee twice. So obviously there was a bit of an issue there. We went to doctors and specialists, and we found out that Justin, when he was born, his kneecaps, instead of forming as one plate – each of his kneecaps was in two pieces with some cartilage between them. Hmm. So what this meant for him was that every time he knocked his knee, it would dislocate. Wow. So and is this, have, a, is this a common thing? It is common, but what happens is most people don't discover they have it because they don't run around knocking their knees like oh. Justin used to. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this, this, turned, this turned into then a need for surgery. And then this is what, what sort of happened next? How did this turn into an invention? Well, he had the surgery, like I said, when he was 14. We had no idea what his recovery would be like. It was just a matter of deciding to get both knees done at the same time. We knew that he wouldn't go back again. So he wore splints on both of his legs. They were ankle to thigh splints. Oh. And he couldn't take them off for six weeks. He couldn't support any weight through his knees at all. That meant when he was getting dressed, he couldn't bend his legs to get dressed. I had to help him dress. I had to help him toilet. And I also had to shower him. So at 14, that was a, oh, a wow. fairly horrendous thing to go through. But Absol he coped very well. Yeah, look, we've got a 15-year-old in the house. And boy, I, couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't imagine that. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, so and was he going to school during this time? He went back to school two weeks after his surgery. Wow. Because he had the splints on, it meant he could get around on crutches um, yeah. without any, any problems. Um, but it was more the daily care of him that he mm. struggled with. Okay. And, and so it's the daily he, care as well where your invention popped up? It was. He had friends popping around to visit in the first couple of weeks and he couldn't put his underwear on. He couldn't put any clothes on over the splints. And we couldn't take the splints off 
to put the clothes on because he just couldn't bear the pain. Oh. So I decided to play around with some of his underwear and his um, shorts and cut them up and sew different things onto them so they could attach at the sides. Hmm. And from that came this this invention that's now couple it, and that's the really the start of your whole inventor's journey. That's right, isn't it? It was, yeah. Mm. It was uh, the clips themselves that I invented. I couldn't find anything that I could buy out there on the market that would help him be able to dress himself. So I came up originally with the idea of just the clips that went on the sides of the underwear. So we've now got an international patent on that. <laughs> so tell me, when you, but when you did, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be a mother caring for her son, trying to find an easy way or an easier way through a sort of caring process. It's another to look at this little thing that you've created and say, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a product, I'm going to turn this into a business. So how, how did that kind of leap happen? Is that well, just... That that happened over a three-year period. Okay. So originally I, I jumped on Google and I had a bit of a, a hunt around. Um, I did speak to a patent attorney very generally, but I put it on the back burner. Um, there was a lot going on in our lives. We had three teenage sons and I was working. It just seemed all too difficult. One day I was driving in the car and I heard an ad on the radio and it said, do you have a great idea? Come and see us. The first consultation's free. And it just seemed like everything fell into place. And I thought, why not give it a go? So I did. Hmm. Okay. So it, it really, from the outset, you knew you were onto something. Clearly, there's something within you, within Wendy, that um, didn't just want to let this go, but wanted to turn this into a product. So were you looking to kind of start your own business and get out of uh, employment? Was that, was that also kind of nice timing in that sense? Um, it wasn't a driving force. The, the main thing was I kept thinking, how would I feel if in five or ten years' time I saw something like this hanging in the shops and I hadn't done anything about it? Hmm. And you hear so many stories of people who say, oh, I thought of this great idea but didn't do anything with it. So that was that was the driving force. The timing was perfect because I didn't have to keep working, so I gradually integrated the new business and went down to part-time work and then eventually gave that up. So everything actually just really fell into place. I didn't have to go out of my way to get it set up and started. Hmm. Okay. All right. So look, that, so this was really from the, from the point that you um, started this process, really 2006, but from the – you said there for, it was kind of three years that you sort of developed it and, and then sort of sat on it for a bit. So, in- yeah, so, so we sat, I sat on the idea till 2009. That's okay. when I started developing it. Right. And then it wasn't until August 2012 that we actually got our first product delivered. Mm. So it was three years in development. Okay. And so looking sort of, I mean, and now you've got a nice little business that, that runs as a consequence of this, yes? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay. And now looking back, though, on these years in development, I mean, how, how tough has this path been? It has been challenging. Right. How's that? Okay. <laughs> I mean, every everything that you do in life has its ups and downs, its benefits and its drawbacks. Mm. I would say there were times where I wasn't sure if I was going to actually make it through and okay. get a product. There were times where I was so excited I saw myself conquering the world. And I think that's just part of the whole life of being a, a business owner anyway, isn't it? Mm. Well, yeah, I, I guess it is. And look, but would you would you say that – um, kind of st- standing back, if you're able to, and look at this sort of the um, 
invention to market sort of uh, sector within Australia? Do, you, uh, do we have it done quite well? I mean, were there plenty, plenty of places for you to go? Was it a relatively... I don't think the answer to this is going to be yes, but was it a, in any way a sort of straightforward approach? Or there was there was no straightforward approach. Okay. I think. Well, first of all, one of the stats that I found out which surprised me is that in Australia, less than two percent of patents make it to a product on the market, which wow. was quite astounding. Mm. Now, when I was starting out, I had an industrial designer who got me going and a patent attorney. I didn't actually have anyone that I could locate who could give me a, a guide through the whole process. You know, you have business coaches that help you with the business side mm. of things. There's this um, business enterprise centres. Austrade have a lot of resources. But they all focus on different areas. Yep. And I really struggled to find anywhere where I could gather all the information I needed so I could make decisions. So what I found was as I went along – I'd realised maybe six months too late that what I should have done back then is is this instead and it would have made it easier or it would have made it quicker or I would have saved a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the, the biggest struggles I had actually trying on my own to figure out all the steps that I needed mm. to take. And, the, and clearly, again, being being the inventor that you are, you've now invented a guide. So you've, you've, you're clearly doing something about that. You're pulling it all into one place. You mentioned there the very low percentage, 2% of patents that make it to market. Presumably that's, I mean, that might be quite similar in other countries, isn't it? Isn't it in some extent, do we not sort of register a patent just to stop someone else doing something? Or is it, yeah. yeah, okay. And, and a lot of the time patents aren't necessary. I know the IP attorneys won't like this, mm. but there are some products that you're better off just to get it made, get it out there, get it branded and sell as many as you can before it's copied. Mm. Uh, you know, it really depends on what your product is. If you've got something that appeals to the mass audience, something as basic as those snuggy blankets, you know, yep. the, the, with the armholes and that. Mm -hmm. I mean, all they did was they just got it out there quickly and, yeah. and saturated the market, told everyone about it and made their money. Mm. There are other products, you know, a but, lot of I mean, the, obviously that in itself is, is you need a lot of money to be able to get out in the market and tell everybody about it. Exactly, mm. you do. And it's not that's not something that us ordinary people who have ideas can do unless you go looking for investors. Yep. Hmm, which is a, a different or another another story altogether, I guess. So it look, is. Yeah. In, in your in your guide, my great idea: almost everything you should know before inventing something. Um, let's just have a little look through that because I must say, I, I read it when you, you you sent me a review copy, and um, you know, was mightily impressed with it, and particularly impressed with the amount of work that you had done. And I I just had no idea that you'd done. I didn't know you jumped on a plane and gone to China. Um, in you know, very short notice. I didn't know you done all these things. So let's have a look through some of those things. One of the where you open up, you talk about the idea. You talk about the idea. You ask the question: Have you got what it takes? What do you think now? Kind of looking back, what do you need? What what do you have to have? Do you think to succeed as an inventor in the way that you have? I think a, a lot of the characteristics are similar to running a business anyway, but you do need to be particularly thick-skinned. Um, people, people who invent a product, I found, and I have met quite a few of them in the last few years, mm. I find they tend to take it quite personally when it uh, isn't received very well. Any criticism of it, they take it personally. You need to 
some way detach yourself from that. So you must be extremely resilient. Okay. You have to have um, so self you need belief. To, you need to listen, but you need to have a tough, a thick skin. By the sounds of it, you do, and mm. and not be narrow-minded. Be open to suggestions on different ways to do things because it's the only way that you're going to succeed mm. because you you have no experience you don't know what you actually should be looking for so you need to listen to other people okay listen to them maybe discount what they say but at least take it in but and at least consider listen. it yep. yeah yeah uh, the other thing the self belief you will have times where you will get quite low um you don't think that it's going to make it you start to doubt what you're doing whether or not you're doing the right thing you've got to find a way to actually pull yourself out of that and part of that is having a really great support network mm. around you you have to have the support of your family yes. you can't you can't do it on your own you can't handle these sort of stresses and pressures without having someone to sound as a sounding board mm. i think too it's really important to and this sounds really awful, but you need to cull some people from your life. If you're, if you're, if you're trying something new, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone, taking a risk, you can't have people around you who are always being negative mm. and and trying to pull you down because it just won't work. So, have people around you that are really strong and supportive, but who are still openly critical in a constructive way mm. look i think that's a very valid point and it's one that is spoken about a great deal in business is just choosing your company carefully and not spend particularly in startup mode just not spending too much time with people that are draining you you know and yeah. it's, it's yep. um it's one thing as you say to sort of take criticism and to understand it and to listen to it it's another just to have somebody day in, day out, whinging and whining and, and telling you it's never going to work. You know, that doesn't help exactly. anybody, does it? So I remember, I remember reading once, too, that you are a reflection of the five people closest to you. Mm. So you have to have a look at who those five people are and what are they mirror, mirroring of your behaviour. Yeah. Now, look, let's, okay, let, let, let's dive into a couple of um, the particular sort of um, aspects of your of, of your own journey one that you mentioned a few moments ago was that you started off pretty early with an industrial designer so this is the situation very much of a particular product a tangible product that you invented as opposed to somebody who might be inventing a service or of some sort yes. but let's say with a product you've decided right first off i'm going to go to an industrial designer now that would have cost you a fair bit how was how was that process how did that sort of work for you well you have options well i had options when i went to see them so i had the idea but I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Mm. So they actually created the design itself. I'm so I paid, I paid a one-off fee to do that so that I could end up with a design, drawings, and a computer-generated mm. image. Can I just st stop you there for one sec? So how did you find them? What Did you, did you literally just go through contacts? or they, they were the ones that I heard on the radio, the ad I heard oh, on the radio. Okay. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So they said, you know, contact gotcha. us, free consultation. So okay. that was really a no-brainer because I had nothing to lose. Okay. And so when this mum of three kids went along and said, I've got this, <laughs> um, you know, I've got, I've got this little undies clip, how were you received? They they were actually really excited. Oh, perfect. Um, Which is just the response you want. It was. It, mm. it was interesting. Um, I've actually got a really good relationship with them still. And they were excited and yet balanced. 
So, <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, I left there thinking, oh, "This is great, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be creating this this new product." Mm. But at the same time, I thought, "Well, this is just the first step. Let's just get to the first step and see what happens after that." And I mean, that obviously is uh, your, one of your very first steps and a very positive one. How do you think you would have coped if it wasn't, if your reception wasn't like that? Because presumably, for some inventors, it isn't. Sometimes the first person. A designer, you know, you think you're kind of making a, a first, perhaps step into the world of production. If a designer says yuck, you know, have you had? Do you know of people that have had that sort of experience, and how do they how do they cope with that? Well, the only people I've met are people who've actually got a product to market. I imagine if I had been told it was a silly idea, mm. I I hadn't developed a personal connection with the invention, the idea. Okay. Because it had been just waiting so long. I, it's not like I'd been out in my shed working on it and putting prototypes together. It was all just in my head. Yep. I think if I had have had the type of invention where I had been spending a lot of time on it and actually physically creating it myself, it might have been different and I probably would have gone to get a second opinion. Yes, okay. Yeah, I guess you would. I guess it depends how much, as you you've say, how much you've invested in your yourself. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah. All right. So happily, you had a very good response, people that you still have a good relationship today. So it went through this industrial design stage. So they did they actually create something or they created a kind of a 3D mock-up? What, what was yeah, actually? It was, it was a 3D um, image, computer-generated, oh, okay. yeah. um, draw, drawings for all the components, all the mm. specifications. And the actual design itself. So I, I could have done whatever I wanted at that stage with it. Yeah. it. It was mine. I owned it. I'd paid for the service to actually create it for me. And did you get a grant for that or anything? Or is that not? Easy? No, the, no, the grants came further down the track. And unfortunately, they were all grants, just rebates. So getting back money I'd already paid. Okay. <laughs> Nothing in advance. No, okay. All right. So you, and that would have, I mean, I'm not asking you to tell us how much, but that would have been a reasonable investment right at the outset there. Well, I, and I mentioned it in the book, you can expect to pay between five and 10,000 to get something developed like that. Remembering I didn't actually have, I I just had the concept. I didn't know how it was going to look or how it was going to work. So they actually created that. Hmm. Different, obviously, if you go there with a prototype and say, please do me the drawings for this. Yeah, sure. Okay, so there you are. You've got your three-year drawings. Where, Where did you go to next? What did you do next with that? Well, I was lucky that my designers had connections with two factories that they'd worked with over a long period of time, both based in China, and they gave me information about both. We got quotes from both. Mm. Um, ended up getting samples made, prototypes made with one particular factory, mainly because they were a little smaller and they could start straight away. Yeah. I, I think from memory their price was slightly higher, so that wasn't really a factor. And was that an expensive and process to get some prototypes made? No, no. Getting all of that done wasn't the expensive se- mm. section of it. It was actually the tooling getting the tooling oh, yeah, okay, okay. for the plastic components. Yes. Mm. So that, that was expensive. Um, and every time you need to change something about your product, you, you go change through the tool. And those tools are still, they're big old lumps of metal, aren't they? That plas- they're solid plas- steel, yep. Yeah, they're okay. huge blocks that get lifted by cranes. So wow. that was quite exciting to see those. Yeah, and you you actually, okay, so you've, you've done this, you've got prototypes made, and then presumably I'm not going to jump ahead too fast, but once you had those kind of, 
in your hands, then you go and show it to people. That's the idea. I, yeah. At the same time, I'd started the patent process okay. because we actually had some specs on the product itself. And I also started some market research very early on. We actually contracted a company to do it for us. And they did markets research Australia-wide through the the different outlets, pharmacies, distributors, aged care, disability, that type of thing. Oh, so fantastic. we got a comprehensive report at the end, which actually gave us a, a step-by-step plan of how to get it to market. Well, you really did commit a fair bit to this then, haven't you? You've, you know, that wouldn't have been a cheap process either. Well, com- committing that early meant that two things. First of all, if we went ahead we'd do it properly, yeah. so we'd save money in the long run. And if it turned out the market research said nobody's interested in this product, well, while we would have spent yeah, money, we would have losses. saved going ahead. Yes, yeah. I, I really believe strongly in market research before mm. you go ahead and invest money. I really oh, do. Well, look, I mean, it's and I was talking to somebody again recently on a podcast and there were some statistics being shared about the um, incidence of, of startup failure, business startup failure, and... Uh, I think it was nine out of ten cases of failures because there is no market. Yeah, you know, and, and they just they just assume people will love this, people will buy it, people will mm. want it, and there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, I should just um, just hasten to remind listeners that you spell out every process of this in your guide, um, which is, you know, I, again, I guess it's it's the one thing that you didn't have that you've now got, and you've also surrounded yourself with a little group of other inventors so this is that kind of network that you talked about that you didn't have but that you had to create um that you know that that you that you have now put together in in my great idea so but there was one thing that when you got into manufacture that i was really surprised to read that you actually decided at very short notice that you needed to get on a plane and go to China. Now, I can't believe every inventor does that. What was your motivation <laughs> there? Why did you feel you needed to do that? Well, I agree with you. I don't think everyone does, but I think everyone should. Um, mm. I had had some issues getting some, the packaging changed and the factory in China decided to go ahead with the changes before they received the documentation, the drawings. To me, that was a a huge sign of faith. Um, They trusted me and I really felt for our relationship, I just had to go there and meet them in person. I, I just really felt it was important. So I jumped on a plane. I decided to spend a couple of days in Hong Kong first, went on my own. Then I took the train up to the Chinese border uh, I've got to tell you, it's one of the most exciting experiences I've ever right. had going to China on my own. I don't know. I've got this image of your husband and three boys sitting at home with their head in their hands saying, what's she doing now? Is she, is she ever going to come back? But uh, clearly that, that, was the, you know, that was not the case because they were very supportive of you. So you had a, you had a, a, a altogether amazing experience by the sounds of it and again your motivation more than anything was sounds like it was relationship building you wanted to make you wanted to it wasn't that you necessarily had a a big concern about the work they were doing it was more fostering the relationship is that right yeah that's right mm. I, I didn't need to go I just felt like it was something that was really important I there was a, an underlying um, thing as well I was just wanted for my own satisfaction to look at the working conditions there. Okay. I wanted to make sure that, you know, the, the staff who they employed were happy, that it was clean and healthy and safe. 
Um, so th that was a consideration as well. More than anything, I just thought it was really exciting to jump on mm. a plane and go to China. <laughs> and so presumably then all your concerns were, were, were taken away and, and the conditions were good and the, I'm, you know, I know this because I've read it. But so it, it, was an, it was an all round good experience for you. It was, mm. and it really cemented a relationship with the factory. I'm so glad that I went there. It uh, meant that I was able to start communicating on more of a personal level, especially yeah. with the sales manager there, and I actually started helping him with his written English. He wanted a bit of a hand with that. His spoken English was very good, <laughs> so we started sending emails to each other on, on a social level just so that we could work on that. So it just adds to the whole relationship, working relationship, the trust and what you build up with them. That's fantastic. Well, look, um, another couple of questions. I'm going to ask you a little closing question in a minute. But um, through this whole process, again, which you've, you know, which you've documented all the way through, you look at sales, you look at marketing, you look at actually retirement and you know, where to go kind of after um, – is there, is there one thing that if you wound the clock back that you would do completely differently? Is there, is there a lesson you've learned you think, right, well, I wouldn't do that again? Mm, I think probably I would have outsourced a lot quicker. Okay. I think I would have achieved my goals a lot quicker if I hadn't have just been trying to do so much on my own. What I, would you have outsourced in particular? I, sales, straight up. Okay. I would have got sales reps organized and just got it out there instead of doing all the calls myself, the presentations myself, the visits myself. Why did you it, do it all yourself? Um, I think it was probably that uh, invention syndrome where you want to hold on to control of everything. Uh -huh. But I, I thought I, the whole way through, I've always thought it's really important that I learned as much as I could and understood each of the areas hmm. of the business. Well, I'd have to say that sounds pretty, you know, I, I think outsourcing essential and only outsource when you know what you're doing, when you know how to do it yourself so you can measure it. But it sounds like you're, what you're saying is you just hung on to it a bit too long. I think I did. Mm. It was uh, the pro whole process, once it actually hit the market, probably took a little longer than it should. I also, um, I did make a really good decision when I was finding it difficult to market the clips on their own and I decided to just change it up a bit and I presented the clips already attached to underwear. So they were marketed in a hanging pack of side fastening underwear. Oh, okay. As soon as I did that, that was when things took off and I did nothing different except present it differently so it was easy, ready to go. So rather than people having to attach the clips to their own underwear, they bought them already on, ready to go. Wow, so you're an underwear manufacturer now as well. I am. I'm just actually in consultation with some manufacturers in Indonesia <laughs> looking at getting our own label underwear made just as a second source rather than just relying on, on China to sure. supply them. And Indonesia have a fast developing textile industry, which is of really good quality too. Wow. And tell me, has, has anybody put your sort of patent under threat? Have you had situations where you've had to go after anybody or you've observed people trying to kind of knock off what you're doing? No, there's a good. couple of products out on the market which are slightly similar in a way, but the actual clip itself is our patented. Yeah. Product so that has um, uses 
not just on underwear, but in a variety of areas. And that's something we're having a look at at the moment. Perfect. Well, that's great. So the, the answer to, you know, what, what kind of what would you have done differently is it sounds pretty not very much is it's just outsourcing sooner. And it seems to me that, um, you know, we're very lucky as, uh, as, as customers of your product that we've got a very good inventor who clearly knows what she's doing. And, <laughs> well, uh, I look like very... I know what I'm doing, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you think of yourself, are, are you an inventor now? Do you, do no. you, no, okay. No. So you don't walk around thinking, oh, I could do that. I could do that. Why don't we do this? You, you're not. I, I can, no, I can tell you honestly that it took me a long time to even refer to myself as an inventor, I'm just someone who had a good idea right. and decided to do something about it. Mm. I I understand that um, people find it interesting and they're curious about it because there aren't that many inventors around. Mm. So I understand that. But more than anything, I'm I'm just someone who likes to take a bit of a risk and step out on a limb and do something different. Well, you have, and it's, I'm very pleased that you did. Now, look, final question that I ask everybody on this podcast is. Who has been, if there is any one person who's been a sort of influence on you in your working life, who is that person and what do they teach you? Okay, so this is very cliched, but it's got to be my parents. Oh. My mother worked full time as we were growing up. And in the 70s, the early 70s, that was quite unusual. And she worked away into a management position in a large retail chain. So there was never any question that I couldn't do anything I wanted and I was always encouraged to be independent, to have a go at things and she set a really good example for me and she still does. We still chat every day and she's a good friend of mine. Mm. And my dad, my dad left school early. He uh, left home early as well and he became a self-made man. He was married very young and had children young. And he ended up building a couple of very successful businesses on, on his own. And he taught me that hard work and perseverance will always pay off. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you, Wendy Flack. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I should say that if people would like to, and I'm, I'm hoping they will, I'm sure they will, want to have a look at your kind of community that you're creating around invention. Uh, the place to go to is mygreatidea.com.au. You'll find Wendy there, a group of other people there as well that you can join up with. Uh, you, you can grab that fantastic report, My Great Idea, almost everything you should know before inventing something. Um, MyGreatIdea.com.au. Wendy, thank you very much for sharing your time back with Flying Solo. You're welcome, and thanks for having me, Robert. I've enjoyed it. Great, thank you. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 